Oh, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Sometimes a greeting lingers. You know, it's the desert. It's good to see you. Happy Father's Day for those who apply. James, man, for those of us here last week, can we just say thanks, James, for being back? Can I get an amen? Because, oh, man, last time went, last week the, went right off the rails. So that's good. The junior high boys uh, and girls, uh, but we don't have one of those yet. The boys, they have to be here. They get to be at church here tomorrow at 5 a.m. And the best part is in our house, mom is sad about that. So do you know, do you know who's going to take him at 5 a.m.? Not me. So, so don't call me at 5.15. I won't be awake. Although I feel like James missed a crucial part of the story as he was doing announcements. Not to criticize. We're very thankful James is back. But... He was talking about the, the men's group Tuesday evening, right? And then he mentioned David leading the Mark group here this morning, right? So David, raise your hand, NASA boy. So David right there is leading the Mark study. He's very smart and great Bible study and in-depth and thoughtful and kind and all those great things. We love David. He's won two invention awards from NASA. So on the brighter side of the scale, right? I mean, collectively in the room, we probably don't have two invention awards from NASA. So we'll give David that he's bright. Tuesday night Bible study, they've adjusted the time a little bit over the, over the months, but they've never once taken it off Tuesday. David, what day did you show up to Dan's house? Wednesday. So, so let's keep uh, Heather in our prayers because she married the absent-minded professor. One of my older brothers has his doctorate in physics, and after 50 years of marriage almost, he retired and his wife, also like David's wife from Long Island, shipped him to the local university to get his memory checked because she was pretty convinced he was coming down with dementia. Report came back clear. He's fine. He's just a scientist. <laughs> and my favorite part of that is in 50 years of marriage, she never noticed, just having him around all the time. Then she became concerned about his memory. Happy Father's Day. Ah, oh, that is good. Now, let me just start with this part. Your father especially you, purple boy, your father did the best he could at the time, did the best he could, wasn't actively trying to be a, a poor, poor father. One of you was telling the story, you called your dad, and uh, you're one of many. Dad was, you know, reproductive, and so, uh, so dad said thanks, they had a lovely little conversation. 30 minutes later, dad calls him back and said, hey, I forgot, you're a father. Yeah, thanks, dad, that's good. But hey, it only took 30 minutes, that feels like real progress in that household, so that's good. It's got to be odd when your kid grows up and becomes a dad because you still remember distinctly it wasn't that long ago you're walking out with the first baby from the hospital thinking you people are very irresponsible to let us leave with this kid. I know we, we produced it, but we don't have any idea what we are doing. And at uh, one point, I'm typing away on my uh, laptop, and uh, baby Jackson's crawling around, and my, my screen goes dim because, you know, I'm watching him. And I looked down, I was like, what is going on? The battery's gone bad? And I realized that baby Jackson had unplugged it and stuck it in his mouth. So his math scores are good, but I can tell you we were a little nervous. A little nervous. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Father's Day, although there's bacon at the end of this. So come on, how much time we got to spend on Father's Day? Because here's how Father's Day started. Goodness gracious. Father's Day started in 1907 in West Virginia. There was a mine explosion and collapse, and a bunch of the miners died. So the next year, in memory of those 
dads, they, they started Father's Day. Well, that's just the worst. So I don't know that we should be even celebrating this. But if you want, you know, five fun facts about the Hallmark holiday, you can go do that. But the, all I, when I hear the story of how Father's Day started, it just reminds me that I have no real problems. Can I get an amen? Have you ever talked to the guys around here that worked in the mines? I'm old enough. I grew up in uh, New York in the 70s, and it was like talking to old World War I vets. And if they would tell you anything about the war, it was always something like, poor Frank, we were having a conversation. I turned this way. I heard a noise. I turned around. Not as much as a button was left. All right. I am eight. You should not be telling me these stories. Let me affirm your reluctance to tell these stories, Grandpa. If, if you've never worked in a mine or been in a trench of World War I, I think that alone is reason to be excited and thankful and for all the challenges we have going on. This morning, what we're going to focus on before the bacon is, I mean, we need something more compelling than bacon, and there's not a lot. So I, here's what I've got. We want to seize this life as a mission. I look at fatherhood as a mission, not because sometimes it feels like you're in battle, although it can sometimes feel like it's a battle. We have a 10-year-old. If she gets sideways, she's willing to burn the place down. She's 10. Oh, my gosh. 15 is coming. I, I'm going to move in with you people. <laughs> the oldest one will have quit and gone to college. It's going to be an awkward roommate situation when I show up on his door with a bedroll and a pillow. But we're not there yet. So I try to remind myself that fatherhood is a mission. It's, it's short. It doesn't last forever, and it goes through all the stages. One of my mentors years ago, we all had little kids, and we were whining about it. And he said, here's the thing. This, the easiest stage of fatherhood is the little kid, kid years. And we're like, that's not encouraging. He said, it's, it's not meant to be. He said, then what happens is they grow up and they're teenagers, and you realize, oh, my gosh, I've put a lot of work into this kid. They're going to be unleashed on the world on their own in a few years, and they've got nothing to work with. They, are, they have nothing. We, I failed miserably. And he said, and then somehow they survive that, and they go and they meet someone great who you might even prefer more, and they get married, and they start having kids, and then they turn 30, and you realize they are one bad decision of just taking this car right into the ditch, and, they, and I can't say anything because they're not asking me for advice. They're just asking for free babysitting. So he said, where you guys are in the little kids' years is the easiest stage. Okay, let's change the subject because you've really depressed me on the whole topic of fatherhood. But if I, I try to remember it's a mission. This is a, an opportunity that I get to do. In fact, we want to see all of life as an adventure. And if you're not currently a minor, You've got reason to see life with optimism. Are there things wrong in life? Yes. But one of the blessings of growing up in 1970s New York with a grandfather who was in the trenches of World War I is, whew, this could be a lot worse. Living here where we do, this, this is nice. So we want to remember that we all have a part to play in the kingdom of God. And the best part is it's meant to be fun. Jesus had fun. So now we're going to talk about a part. So the four Gospels that start the New Testament. So there's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament with God. You be my people and I'll be your God. And when you mess it up, I'll fix it. And the fix was to send Jesus because there's nothing worse you can do than what Jesus had to go through on the cross. And the brilliant part is he didn't stay dead. 
Death is temporary. Eternal life. It's not the afterlife. It's eternal life. This day, part of eternal life. That'll, that'll inspire you to make some changes. It's like, oh, I don't think this trajectory is going to take me where I want to go. Let me adjust a few things as we get further out. If this is going to last for eternity, the God of the universe showed up in sandals and had fun, messed with people, told jokes, got, got a coin. The Roman government wanted, their, uh, wanted their, their taxes, and so he had Peter the fisherman go catch a fish that had coins in it. Well, that's pretty funny. That's good. Might have been the temple tax, but either way, tax. Just go fishing, pays for your tax. Some of you guys, that's a dream for you right there for Father's Day, but rarely works that way. So now we have Paul who didn't meet, well, ironically, Paul may have met Jesus, may have been in the temple when Jesus was preaching, although there's no mention of that. So I don't know that that happened, but the timeline, it could have been. But Paul comes along in this group that saw Jesus after the Roman cross realized that God showed up and changed everything. Now, there's the New Testament, the New Covenant. Let's talk about what God said. When God said way back in the beginning, you get off track, I'll fix it, He did that. we got to tell people. And so, they're telling people. So, the four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, begin the New Testament. And then the next book is the book of Acts. And, and Luke writes it. The first half of the book is they, second half is we, because he joined it. So, now we're in the we part. He heard Paul talk about Jesus. Paul didn't like Jesus thought these Jesus followers were completely off track. So he was trying to put him in jail, kill him if he needed to, you know, like you do, right? People that don't, don't know how to vote, whatever we got to do, let's shut them down. And then Paul meets Jesus face to face, and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, well, I didn't know you were real. This is awkward. I'll stop. Blind for, for three days as a result. And now Paul is on fire sharing the good news, the New Testament, this is who Jesus is, this is what happened, Jesus is who he says he is, and he's telling everybody. And he's one of those people that's very persuasive. So now Paul's out and about. We'll pick it up here in one of their adventures with Luke and the gang. That night, Paul had a vision. In general, we don't want to hear about your vision. Can I get an amen? Ever tried to wake up in the morning and tell someone about your dream? How's that go? Most people aren't that interested. Unless, unless you start the the talk was something like, I dreamed about you naked last night and we were fishing. Now they're going to listen. So even if that's not part of the dream, just mention they're not wearing pants and they, you've got their attention. Or if you mention, I dreamed last night that I stabbed you in the heart. That also, they'll now, you'll have their attention and then you can say, no, that's not really what happened. Here's what the dream was. But you've got them. Paul had a vision. A little nervous about people's vision. We have visions about what we think other people should do differently. Can I get an amen? God has spoken to me that you should stop being stupid in this way. Right? We have those kinds of visions all the time. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece, right? You've got a general idea of the Mediterranean Sea. Greece was standing there pleading with Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is Alexander the Great's home territory for fans of the Great Gadsby. This is near Montenegro, little, Mon little Montenegro that gave Gadsby a, a medal across the Aegean Sea. So this is, none of that really matters. What matters is this is moving from Asia, right, Jerusalem. By the way, we'll see if we can get them to admit it in a couple of weeks. But someone who walked in here a couple of years ago is a committed atheist, sent me some pictures this week of touring the Holy Land in the Middle East. Huh. So we'll see if he's willing to admit that, but... Uh, if you come in in a couple of weeks, next week we have church, and then we'll take a couple off. But if you come up here at some point and there's two chairs and there's a dour-looking engineer, it's because we got him to admit it. 
right? Jesus might be right, but we'll see. We'll see. It's that men's Bible study got him. It's good. So this is the moment where they're going from Jerusalem and that area, still Asia, over to Europe. That's what they're crossing into. You know where, you know where the Pope lives, right? Rome? Do you know that the Pope lives in Rome? Okay, good. Well, you know, I don't need a thunderous response, but one. I just want one, not thinking about bacon. The Roman Empire, the fact that Rome is where the Pope lives rent-free is one of the biggest jokes in history. They used to kill Christians in Rome. And now the Pope lives there and he doesn't even pay rent. That's funny. Well, they're moving towards Rome right here. We're about to meet the first convert in Europe. Verse 10. We decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news that Jesus is who he says he is. There, the, the fun word there is we, right? Dr. Luke has gone from investigating, talking to mom about the baby stories. That's why their baby stories are in Luke for Jesus. And now he's being an eyewitness. Verse 11, we boarded a boat, kind of an exciting trip. We reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia. Philippi, Paul was in prison. He wrote a letter to the Philippians, one of the, his most positive letter. Paul could be a little uh, grumpy, a little harsh. Paul makes a New Yorker seem sweet. You know what I'm saying? And his letter to the Philippine, the, to the Philippians in Philippi is his most encouraging, upbeat letter. Those people must have been great. You know how it is. If someone's really encouraging and upbeat, you don't walk up to them and say, well, you know who died yesterday, right? That's not what you do. You, you, you're around somebody who radiates positive. You find yourself more positive. So the Philippians must have been great. And we're, we're going to meet the key Philippian here in a minute. The people in Philippi must have been, been fun. Now, Philippi, for you history buffs, was a place where the armies of Mark Anthony and Octavius, 75 years before this, defeated Brutus and Cassius. Big, big battle in the Roman, Roman Empire, Egypt. And so there's many Roman soldiers retired in this area. Philippi is very proud of being part of the Roman Empire. Verse 13, on Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. Think, oh, that's fun church on a river. We should do that. First of all, we're going to have to have a river, but that would be nice. That'd be great. Where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Why did they think that? Because somebody said, oh, you Jews. Yeah, they meet by the riverbank out here. You have to have 10 men in order to get a synagogue going. That's the, that's the rule of the day. But of course, God doesn't really care about our rules, does he? So there's they got one started. Where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. This patriarch society, the women didn't count. You had to have 10 men because that's how the Romans counted. So, you know, you got to play the game. By the river tells us they didn't have 10 men in order to start and meet in a building. So they're out by the river, and it seems to be mostly women. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, little ways away, not far, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. This little sentence... Sometimes we criticize the Bible because it doesn't describe, well, where, what color was, the, the, what color was the, the, the foliage around there? This is not the Great Gatsby, where it came from the, the bay and the Long Island Sound and the lawn ran up the side of the house with vines. It is not that. The Bible doesn't describe dumb stuff. It makes, uh, it makes Hemingway seem poetic. 
So it doesn't tell us about the riverbank. We have an idea of what a riverbank might look like. But it just said in such a simple sentence, it had so much stuff, purple cloth, to get it right, to get the dye just right, is really difficult to do. So it was really expensive. So if you wore a purple cloth, it was a sign of immense wealth. Royalty. Or you're loaded. So this is like having a Bentley dealership. It's the nicest car I've ever driven was a Bentley. It wasn't mine. So I don't know. I don't know what's higher than that. I think last year would have been a Tesla dealership. I don't think we like them anymore. I don't know. I can't keep track. So we'll just go with Bentley. It's nice. We were up on Kia for a while there, but not anymore. I don't know. I can't keep track. But this is, uh, maybe now it's Toyota, but it's whatever the car is, it's the symbol on the front of the car is supposed to be impressive. That's what purple cloth was. And Lydia comes from a family that did purple cloth. And Lydia is so impressive, her dad doesn't get mentioned, her husband doesn't get, her family gets mentioned, but they don't get mentioned. Lydia is impressive. In fact, we're going to find out in just a minute, they, they, the first church in, in Europe started in her house. And it was part because if you run a business, you know how to organize things and lead. And because of her, the church, in part because of her, the church took off in, uh, in Europe. Sometimes reading through the Bible, we get the impression that women are second-class citizens. But that's not what the Bible says at all. In the culture of the day, women could be, in some circumstances, second-class citizens, and the Bible reports that. But notice way back in creation, what was created first? Well, first the order was established, right? And then it's the plants, and then it's the animals, and then it's Adam, and then it's who? Now, in that order... Who's on top? Who's the pinnacle of creation? Somebody, somebody can say it. Eve. Yeah. That's the order God brought it out. When the ship goes down, is it guys with money first? No, only in the Titanic movie. It's women and children first. Why? Because we can get other guys. Women are the pinnacle of creation. Just look at society. Nobody's opinion in my life matters more than the hot check. If Jenny said, good sermon, and all of the rest of you said, that's it, we're never coming back. That was one of the worst utterances I've ever heard. I can't believe you're not in jail. If Jenny said, no, it's good, I go, oh, great. Don't you find that? 90% of what I do is just to impress Jenny. That's it. That's all I'm really working on. 2% to impress God, and 8% I'm just watching the Yankees, right? That's kind of how life goes. So the fact that Lydia was the first convert mentioned in Europe is because she's impressive. She helped the church take off. My, uh, my Father's Day story. Now, I want to stress, I am just a brilliant dad. I'm the best one in our house, and I stand by that. So, uh, so baby Jackson, just before he was sucking on the power cord, we, um, there was a women's event. We were in Midtown by the university at the time. And uh, so Jackson's in a car seat, and I take him over with my friend Eric, and we're chatting and at the university. He was a student, one of those, I don't know, one of those outdoor areas by Ben's Bells, if you know where that is. And we've got him because we're morons. We've got him on the little rickety table, and we've got our coffee, and we're chatting. And then we stand up, and we take uh, whatever we, and baby Jackson goes, bam. Yeah. And, uh, and he was all whiny about it, and. Had a big knot on his head. 
And uh, so I pick him up, and we write the table, and I set him back on the table because I've learned nothing at this point. And I'm panicked, and I'm staring at the kid trying to figure out if I broke it. And my friend Eric, who's on my side, said, don't worry, I won't tell Jenny. <laughs> and I said, that's exactly who we're going to go tell. I'm just going, right now, that's what we're going to do. So the thing was just wrapping up, and so we go zooming over, and I take Jackson in, and I set him down, and I say, I think I broke it. I dropped it. And I, and Daddy, you know, she married me on purpose. She didn't even question. And there was a nursing student there, and so she spent the longest 45 seconds of my life, like, checking him out, raised, who's a light, the whole thing, checking his fingers. I don't know what she was doing. I think she was drunk. And then after 45 seconds, the longest 45 seconds of your life, she said, eh, I think he's fine. All right, that's good. So we didn't take him to a doctor, and I don't know, there he is. So uh, I think we're fine, but... But if you want to know about fatherhood, just come and, right, thank you, right, just come and ask me if you need any tips, and I'll tell you what my dad would have done. As she, Lydia, listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Turns out the Jesus guy was, was right. That is God in sandals. All those references he made referring to the Old Testament that he was God in sandals, all that was true. And like you, I didn't believe it, but now I believe it, so now I'm telling you as much as we would like to force our faith to grow, as much as we would like to pray for the people around us, like the back of your card, you look at the bottom, there's, there's two names. Jeremy, we're talking about, maybe we'll just join with him, right? He's doing a big car show for Father's Day. He had 11,000 Easter. You know what? Why don't we just jumpstart this thing and join with you? We have been friends for years. Let's just do this together. But as we're working through that process, he has uh, 8 to 15 on the back of his card. So we've got to step it up a little. So just rejoice for our two right now. But the idea is we have people in our life, we want them to get the God thing. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to embrace that eternal life includes today. But all you can do is pray. All you can do is tell them what you know. All you can do is demonstrate it to the best of your ability. And then God created them. They're God's worry. This is God's world. We can only influence so much. So somebody probably prayed for you. Now we're praying for them, and we have to wait for God and them to connect. Everyone is God's creation. Our part is to pray and to remind them and us what we've seen and felt and experienced in this that makes it, makes it real. It's a, uh, it's a theory that God exists until you've had a personal relationship, and now the hypothesis has been checked out, and now it's a fact. But you can't just announce that to someone else and have them say, oh, it's not like gravity. There's all kinds of things we can't agree on. You have to pray for someone to have a personal experience and for God to work, just like he did with Lydia, just like the jailer last week with Paul and Luke. She and her household were baptized, just like last week. We have the Oikos, 8 to 15 people that know you pretty well. If you announce a new fact in life, they're going to say, no, that's not true. My sister-in-law, who shipped her husband, my brother, off to Yale to have his memory checked, like, that's a standard, but, you know, then what are you going to do? Well, that's where you live. That's what happens. When I said, I'm going to accept my call to ministry and go to seminary, she said, well, that's a big switch for you, isn't it? So you don't want everybody in your oikos is what I'm saying. You don't want everybody in that 8 to 15. But she knew me really well. She said, wow, this is a big change for you. I think she meant that positively, but she's from Long Island. It's hard to tell. So Lydia got the Jesus thing. And by the way she talked, by the way she acted, by the way she was, her whole household said, we want that. And they all got baptized. 
And this is Luke talking. She, Lydia, asked us, Paul and all the gang and Luke, to be her guests. If you, how do we know that Lydia was doing well? We have a house that isn't quite big enough for my mother-in-law to visit. Can I get an amen? If you do some math before you buy the house, this is the result. Some of you, you've got endless guest rooms. Well, you make your choices. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. To stay there. How do you know she's doing well in life? That's a big house. That's nice. We uh, once we were buying this house in Oro Valley, so it was years ago. We were staying at a friend, uh, and they have a huge house. Overlooks the city. We were just in the basement. We didn't even see them. We had to go up to even see them. Huge place. And the now 10-year-old said, this is nice. Why don't we just stay here? You will live in Oro Valley and like it, young lady. There's no snakes here. And she urged us until we agreed. Now, the story goes on, but for Lydia, this was life-changing. She believed in God. She was going to church by the river in the morning, and then she met Jesus, God in sandals, changed everything, had them over. The church started in her house, began to grow. Years later, when Paul wrote back to the Philippian church, still a big part of it, Lydia. Crazy. The point is, why are we talking about Lydia on Father's Day? Did you not look at the calendar ahead of time? Why are we talking about Lydia on Father's Day? Because we were created by God on purpose. And what you know you have is one gift, maybe two or three. And you know what the gift is. Because when you do that thing, five hours can feel like five minutes. Sometimes you say, well, I don't know if I want to go to heaven and play harps on clouds. Well, do you know how to play a harp? Because it's not heaven if you're just trying to learn how to play harp in heaven. Can I get an Amen. Like, Jesus, will you do somebody, something like that? He is terrible. Can, you, can that cloud release him? He go plummeting back down, get some lessons. We're not floating around on clouds playing harps. I think that's a cartoon from the 40s or something. We have gifts, and we get to use those. We get to be, ever been at a really great party where you lose all track of time? Yeah, that's heaven. It's not the clock ticking. You don't feel it anymore. It's eternity. It's wonderful. When you here on earth have those moments where you get lost and you didn't realize the time passed, that's your gift. When you're doing something, not watching Netflix, I'm on season seven, it's all in one day, that's not a gift. That's somebody else's gift. When you're in your gift and, and, the, and you lose track of time, and it's one of those things where not just that you want to, but that other people affirm it, other people ask you that you are solving problems for God's other children, whether they know they're God's other children or not. We are, we are here to do some things, to be partners with God in this world. Successful businesswoman Lydia has a nice home. That's a great gift for Paul and Luke. They were new. They weren't staying at a nice place. They stayed for a while. The church took off. Then they, as they moved on, she was able to be the person that, that kept it going. Use the gifts you have to solve problems for God's children. It can change with the seasons of life. You can retire. This with Pastor Glenn, retired Pastor Glenn, meeting another ministry guy. And we're talking about kids. And he said to me, is this technically calling me grandpa? I'm not sure. But the oldest one's 14, so I'm not a grandpa. And he turns to me and says, oh, are the kids still here in Tucson? Yeah, the 8-year-old hasn't asked to move out yet. 
Then he changed the subject. I don't know. I'm going to have to look in a Grecian formula or whatever it is we do. little hair dye. I'm going to come in. Someday it's just going to be jet black like Elvis in the last few years. I'm like, oh, who's that young man? Someone can solve my problem and dye my hair for me. Her business abilities, her ability to better organize, to accomplish the tasks, made Lydia someone we're still reading about 2,000 years later. And when Paul later was sitting in prison far away and wrote back to the church in Philippi, Lydia was on the list. This is uh, what Paul wrote. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, servants and other translations. The point is we'll do what we have to do for Jesus. And currently they're in prison. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons, Lydia there. Now we skip ahead a little bit. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Well, if you're Lydia and you met the good news by the river, this is good news for you that the good news is being passed on. Verse 13, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ Jesus. Why is he in chains? Because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. So the Roman Empire has him in chains. So what's he doing while he's in chains? Talking to the guard. This would have been good news for Lydia, who was not in jail. You know, though, we talk a lot about, I got to find my passion. You know what the word passion means? What you're willing to suffer for. That's what passion means. We think, no, no, it means it's all fun and glories and, and butterflies before the windshield. That's what we think passion is. No, passion means what you're willing to suffer for. At some point in life, in order for it to be meaningful, in order for it to be productive, in order for it to be the life we were created for, you've got to sink your teeth into something and do it. You get married and you figure out how this person, this wonderful person that you married, who was just the worst morning breath and a lot more gas than you thought, How are you going to make this work in a way that makes you both not only a little bit better, but makes you a lot better, makes the world better? Children, having kids, there's nothing that's going to make you a better person than getting married and having kids, or else you're going to be in jail. You've got to figure out how to step it up. Because here's the thing, when you're single, you've got your family, and they're delightful many moments of the day. And then you have your friends, and they often are sober and great. And then you have work. And then you have church. And whenever any of those people get on your nerves, you just say, oh, I got to go to work. Oh, I'm going to go spend time with my friends. Oh, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go hang out with my family and feel loved again. And it keeps going and nobody ever holds you accountable because if somebody says, hey, I was going to talk to you about that thing, like, oh, I got to go. Look at the time. And then you get married and nobody ever goes anywhere. I like that. My wife, it took her some time to adjust. The, when is it you go home? That's the thing, honey. I'm, I am home with you for the rest of your life. Because your family dies early and mine hangs in there. So you don't get a second without me for the rest of your earthly life. Look at that ring. It's nice. She's come around. She really likes it now. But it was an adaptive period for her. She married a New Yorker on purpose. Believe me, her family pointed out that probably was a poor choice. (laughs) They're wrong. And now I've chosen her mom's home. So, ha! (laughs) That's lovely. She's doing great. There's nothing that's going to make you better than sinking your teeth into something and figuring it out. 
passion. What are you willing to suffer for? On this Father's Day, before the bacon, while you're here in this world, gifts and opportunities to solve problems for God's other children. If you really, for the life of you, have frustration at work or in life and you can't figure out what problem I'm solving for somebody, either figure it out or you need to make some changes. Because retired or not, you can reach a stage where nobody's sending you a paycheck anymore. Great. Congratulations. You can't stop being useful in the world. That doesn't go. We are here to solve problems for God's other children. Not every second of every moment of every day. And we all have different gifts. One of my favorite old guys in the world is Carl Granetsky. How's that for a Wisconsin name? Carl Granetsky. Oh, that guy was great. So he's in our old church, his big church, 1,800 people on a big Sunday. And so I go to my boss and I said, here's the thing. Carl's loaded. We need to stop having him be in meetings because he's destructive. Carl can't be in a meeting. He's done very well in business. He's got a lot of money. It would seem like Carl would be good in meetings. But if we love everybody else, don't ever let Carl be in a meeting again. And I said to Carl, I'm going to go talk to my boss and tell him that you can't ever go to another meeting. And Carl said, that'd be wonderful. And I said, but here's the thing. Carl can work a room. Carl could meet all 1,800 people. So I said, let's, let's have him just work the room. You know, you've met Eli. Everybody here knows Eli. If you haven't, it was by your choice, right? Try not to meet Eli. Well, Carl was a Wisconsin-Chicago version of Eli. I mean, that might scare some of you, but... And Carl was loaded. Carl loved to give to projects that the church didn't have money for. The youth guy wanted to redo the whole youth room. It's going to be $25,000. I said, well, go talk to Carl. Carl was happy to write that check. He didn't need a plaque on the wall. He's happy to do it. Spending his kids' inheritance, he was all for that. Didn't have any problem with that. And after doing this for a while, my boss came to me and said, I'm worried that we're taking advantage of Carl. I said, you think a man named Carl Gronetsky who grew up in Chicago can't say no to a pastor? If he doesn't want to give it, he'll just tell you no. You haven't gotten there yet. He'll let you know when you get there. But my boss couldn't comprehend Carl's unique gifts. One, that he liked people. Right? Most ministers can't comprehend that. And two, that Carl was happy to write big checks. Happy to do it. He had made his money. They had everything they needed. They were forever building onto their house. It's the most fascinating wonderland. It's like an 11-year-old had designed the house. It just kept going with nice finishes. One of those places 25 years ago where you go and there was a, a phone by the toilet. Now, I never used it. I want to stress that. I didn't even want to touch it. I didn't need it in there. But for you younger people, the fact that there were phones by a toilet, that's how you knew somebody had watched the TV show Dallas, really is what that was. We all have unique gifts. We all have opportunities. So you apply what you're good at to a problem nearby, right where you are. You don't have to move to the other side of the world, just where you are. And you will find that in that, that you will find what your gifts are, the world will be a better place and it will be absolutely amazing because when we say somebody else meeting Jesus is God's worry, God doesn't worry. God just works, and he asks us to join in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we head out to Bacon to celebrate the best of fatherhood, remind us that you're the Heavenly Father. Us earthly fathers, we give it our best shot. We apologize often. We have great confidence 
that you are the one responsible. We are partners with you for these children, and they are your responsibility. May we rejoice in our part, enjoy our part, celebrate our part, work at our part, but recognize that ultimately it's you. You are the creator of the universe. And we pray that on this day, you come in such a way into our lives that it's no longer a hypothesis. It becomes a personal fact that you created us, you love us, and you are with us. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship with you, A is to admit that we are sinners. We build our own kingdom and not yours, which means that we live a smaller life than you created us to live. B is to believe that you are the one who forgives and makes us worthy at the throne room of God. You are the one who unlocks the door of eternity for us. And C is to choose to follow you with joy, with commitment, with purpose each and every day. It's the name of Jesus that we pray, and everybody said, amen.